Hello, everyone. Welcome to today's episode. Today, I am here with Megan Swan, and we're going to be talking all about intuitive eating and mindful drinking. I'm really excited to jump into this topic today. You are listening to Creating Wellness from Within, a podcast devoted to helping you live your best life through self-care and wellness. In each episode, we strive to offer you actionable advice and tools to help you on your journey towards greater personal wellness. I am your host, Amy Zellmer. I am editor-in-chief of Minnesota Yoga and Life magazine and the Brain Health magazine. Additionally, I have published four books on the topic of brain injury and concussion, and I am passionate about yoga, wellness, photography, travel, and all things glittery. You can learn more about me at creatingwellnessfromwithin.com. Today, my guest is Megan Swan, and she is a mindset and wellness coach that designs custom approachable wellness lifestyles for the ambitious woman. She helps women optimize their wellness through nutrition, mindfulness, mindset, and movement so that they can feel magnetic energy and confidence in their own skin so that ultimately they can accomplish their dreams and stop playing small. Welcome to the podcast, Megan. I love your bio. Oh, <laughs> so thank powerful. You. I love yours too. Aww. Well, well, later we'll talk about all of your books that you've published. My goodness. Congratulations. <laughs> so I realize this is a podcast and most people are probably listening to audio only, but I just really have to shout out your shirt that you're wearing and the pink puppy sleeves are just slaying me. <laughs> I love it. Pink it's and sparkle are my, my favorite. One of my brand colors that I'm obsessed with. Oh, I love it. Love it. Love it. All right. So Megan, today we're talking about intuitive eating and mindful drinking, um, two really, really important topics. And I love that you brought them both together. Um, I mean, they go hand in hand eating and drinking, right? Um, so let's just kind of dive in. I'll just kind of let you start steering the boat here and I'll hop in with any, um, questions or insights. Definitely. Well, for me getting to a place where I could feel like I do those things <laughs> mindfully, well, and I'll be frank, I don't drink alcohol. I've been sober for three and a half years, but I do help a lot of women that are interested mm -hmm. in sort of reconsidering their relationship yeah. um, with alcohol. But the intuitive eating is also, it's really the same process. It's about the first step is having a deeper awareness of what you're already doing and your relationship to what you are consuming. And we could even broaden this to, you know, like everything you're consuming, what right, sort of media right. are you consuming? Um, who are the people that you're spending the most time with? You know, what is the work environment like for you? Uh, all these things, the energy that you're consuming in that sense on a daily basis really affect your overall optimal wellness. And so, Bringing it back to the piece, let's focus on intuitive eating for a little bit. I think this is such an important tool and going forward, particularly in this sort of information overwhelm, even in, in the wellness industry, you know, like there are just so many things that we quote unquote should be doing. And, you know, I invite you to first think could be doing, you know, like no wellness tool or wellness lifestyle is for everyone. You literally mm -hmm. have to 
you know, find the threads that really help you thrive and also know that you have, you know, this toolbox and you're not using all the tools at all the, all the time, you know, getting to understand that we are animals, we ebb and flow with the rise in the sun and rise and fall of the sun with the seasons as women in a given month. Um, and then in the different phases of our lives. And so there's all these sort of markers that we have to sort of uh, to guide us to know like maybe oh this is you know in summer the for me i need to eat more fruit and you know less of a, another thing or more of this and just really understanding that you are you know you are your own healer and you are really the only person that knows best what is for you yeah. and what is not mhm so true and you know you said you don't have to use all the tools at once. And I think that just kind of resonated with me. Um, you know, I mean, it's no different than literally doing a home improvement project and you've got your toolbox out. You can only use one tool at a time. You can't, you know, you can't saw hammer and nail all at the same time. Right. Um, exactly. so we kind of have to look at that same approach for our own wellness no matter, you know, no matter what that is. Um, so I think that's a really great point. Yeah. Well, I think I we love, try too with, hard at times. Yes. Yes. Well, and I work with a lot of women that are essentially burning themselves out to some degree in part because they feel like they're, you know, keeping up with the Joneses in terms of wellness, you know, like a new trend comes out and they immediately feel pressure. So right there, there's an added layer of stress to adopt it. And, you know, I feel like there's a lack of nuance in the industry, you know, partly because let's face it, most people are looking to sell something. And so they don't want to make it complicated and Mm -hmm. that maybe it's for you, try it. Maybe it's not, you know, it's like, this is what you need. It's a very like all or nothing um, approach. And I think we, as, as humans, as consumers, as women need to take back the reins and be like, huh, isn't that interesting? Like, maybe I'll try it. Maybe I won't. And best that I try it like without another six other things layered in at the same time, because it must be really hard to see if it's actually that thing that's improving my life or, you know, something else. And so to your point about using one thing at a time, I think uh, as a culture, we are really addicted to this quick fix mentality. Mm -hmm. Totally. It's like, oh, I'm going to start the, you know, the exercise regime coupled with the changing my diet, coupled with meditating, coupled with coupled with, instead of really weaving in new threads of healthy habits, little by little one. So it's really sustainable and integrated into your life. And two, to really see if it's for you and, and if it's something you want to keep doing or select something else in the toolbox, um, And another aspect of this, I think, is this idea that's very dominant that it's around a given wellness routine. So let's go to uh, back to intuitive eating, that it's like an all or nothing game. And I think that's not very helpful for a a lifetime approach. You know, it Mm -hmm. needs to be you know, what can I, can I draw in and sort of adapt here and there, but it's not, oh, I'm a hundred percent X, Y, Z lifestyle, or I'm not, you know, like there needs to be some, some breathing room there in order to make it sustainable. So like what I, what I'm hearing is like, 
maybe for instance, you're keto, you're on a keto diet. Um, and uh, I have several friends that are, that are pretty strict keto, but even they like have to take a break from it from time to time, like that, that craving for a carb just, you know, gets them. And so they have to take a break and have that piece of cake or whatever it is. Right. And, and not beat yourself up over it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, that we could dive down a keto rabbit hole. I won't, I won't, but um, no, yeah. In, in, in <laughs> general, example. <laughs> yeah. In general, I think it, it's a great example. So instead of you know, looking at the keto regimen or, you know, as this book of hard and fast rules, why not look at as a guideline that is like overlapping Mm -hmm. your lifestyle and you can pull from it when it really makes sense, when it really makes you feel great, when it, you know, makes sense with your schedule, with where you are in the world, like all those things. And, you know, maybe on the weekend or maybe when you're traveling or maybe at a certain time of the month, it just doesn't align with you as much. But instead of, like you say, bringing in this sort of layer of self-judgment and guilt at that time when you shift out of it, just being like, no, it's ebb and flow. Like, I know that I feel better when I do X, Y, Z, in this case, mostly eat keto. Um, and I'll get back to it when my body is telling me to and, and really sit back and trust because that's the piece that is really missing. We, we, we all live in a very masculine energy dominated world, which, you know, we all women and men both hold masculine and energy, uh, masculine and feminine energies, but this idea where masculine energy is the doing the structure, the strategy, the action, and the feminine is the knowing the trusting that you plant a seed. And it, there's like some, a few things you can do to make sure that it's, it's germinating properly and it's going to blossom but, you know, running around it or clapping or like, you know, having this, this energy, like I want the answer right now is not going to make it grow any faster. So it's, it's sitting back and having that trust that keto, let's go back to that example, although personally, it's not something I would recommend. Um, but the, those sort of ideas or the, the, the basic rules of keto, let's say, um, can really function to support you at certain parts of the month, mm-hmm. maybe, or of your life and not so much of others. And, and I think particularly, I, I think, I don't know, are you a parent? I'm, I'm a mom of two boys. And so also sometimes we get these ideas of, you know, what's working for me as a 42 year old woman uh, with, you know, like all sorts of, all sorts of factors will somehow work for my children or my husband who's 10 years older and has a completely different, you know, work lifestyle and all those things. So it's also giving ourselves permission to craft an intuitive eating style that really makes sense for us. And then that it can ebb and flow. You know, I think, uh, um, a really good example. I just interviewed a woman who is five months pregnant and she's mostly vegan. Um, but during her pregnancy, she's been craving meat. And you know that I would say that's definitely a form of intuitive eating. Your body is telling you, Hey, you need this meat. You need, you know, whether it's the protein or the iron, whatever it is that the body is craving. And I've heard this from numerous friends who are either vegetarian or vegan that during their pregnancy, they just absolutely craved 
meat. Um, so they would eat it because they assumed that their, mm-hmm. their body needed it. Um, and I, you know, I feel like that's a really good example of intuitive eating and your body telling you what it needs. But at the same time, you know, once a month, I crave all the brownies and all the cookies. <laughs> But yet, is my body really telling me I need cookies, right? Like, <laughs> it's telling me yeah, I well, need I something. Think <laughs> these, these are excellent examples, 100% with the pregnancy, that it's more a physical craving. I had the mm-hmm. same experience. Um, and my my doctor, it's like, no, it's, we did a, a blood test and my iron was incredibly low. And so I, I started eating red meat um, at, during that pregnancy. And I think pregnancy is another example of we have all of this awareness culturally around what's good for the fetus or like what are no-nos and and like things that are more toxic and all these all these rules um i a lot of the reason that i shifted into a greater awareness about my health and wellness was that i became hyper focused on it well when i got pregnant and that was really the first time in my life that it was so um, prevalent to me. And I felt so strongly about it. And then I started extrapolating. It's like, wait a minute, like why, you know, if X, Y, Z is toxic for the baby, then it's gotta be toxic for me on some level too. Of course you need to consume more of it. But so I just started questioning a lot of things and that's part of the intuitive eating process Mm -hmm. is knowing that, okay, there are these experts, there are these authorities that say X, Y, Z, but that doesn't necessarily apply to me. And I need to trust that my system will tell me. And so back to your brownie example, I think that's more an example, a a point where that's like an emotional craving, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, it's a comforting thing you made in childhood or, you know, like something's going on there. And that doesn't mean that you shouldn't also indulge. Like, especially, I, I think it's really important that we give ourselves that permission to indulge. And I invite my clients, it's like, no, that's, that's a beautiful learning opportunity for you. You're not going to eat the brownies, like feeling bad about yourself, eating them in a corner, feeling bad. No, (laughs) you're going to eat them like, you know, with your favorite show on maybe, um, and and you're going to eat them slowly and you're going to be really present with the flavor, the texture, all the things so that. that it becomes like a whole experience and whatever you feel, during and after you're going to be that much more aware. And in time, like maybe you're not going to crave as many brownies, but maybe you will. And again, like once a month, I don't think there's any problem with having a stack of brownies once a month. (laughs) They sure taste good at that time. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I I can speak personally for myself. I definitely have uh, a sugar craving that I nurse once in a while. And, um, what's really helped for me is just to be more present in that moment because I used to eat a lot more because I'd eat it quickly because I felt Mm. guilty. Mm -hmm. And so I find like when I slow down, you know, I have two instead of five. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yep. And you know, it's, it's always interesting because I'm like, Oh my God, why am I craving chocolate? And I might not even have it in the house. I might not have brownies at home. And I'm like, Oh my God, I want a brownie. And then it's like, Oh, PMS. Okay. <laughs> you know, it, and it's also, funny fluctuation how, of hormones yep, for sure. Yep. Yep. But also there are indicator. Some, 
amazing healing properties to high quality chocolate, more specifically cacao. Um, I live in the South of Mexico where they produce a lot of cacao and, um, the Mayans actually used to drink quote unquote hot chocolate before the Spanish arrived. There was no sugar. Um, well, no processed sugar, at least there was sugar mm-hmm. cane and the Mayans drunk, uh, chocolate, hot chocolate, which is basically hot cacao with not with any sugar. Like it's almost like a coffee, you know, mm-hmm. like it's a very bitter and pure cacao, which you can find in the U S um, with, you know, in a powdered form, but sometimes you can find cacao nibs, which is sort of like the yep. um, outside and you just grind those up, you know, in the bullet or whether you make it a hot or a cold drink and you can, you can sweeten it with uh, raw honey or something. And that is a really, it's a superfood. It's very high in antioxidants and it's a mood booster. So the fact that we crave chocolate, particularly as women, it usually has to do with this, this plummeting mood. You know, we want this boost in our mood to feel good, to feel happy, to feel comforted. And so, you know, I think over time you could consider like upping the ante of how much cacao, real cacao are in those brownies. Um, but then also we just need to give ourselves permission sometimes to eat, you know, like whatever. Yeah. So Megan, let's kind of shift into the mindful drinking. Um, and let's, let's talk about that for a little bit too. Um, you know, you mentioned that you're three years sober and when I had my brain injury in 2014, um, it was about a year into my recovery that I learned, you know, alcohol. I mean, I already knew alcohol is a neurotoxin, but when you have a brain injury, it resonates <laughs> at a different level. Um, so learning how alcohol is a neurotoxin and it was inhibiting my, my, um, recovery from brain injury. I just, I stopped drinking it like completely. And I, I don't miss it. I haven't gone back to it. I don't, I don't miss it at all. Um, and you know, it, when you stop drinking for whatever reason that you stop, um, it kind of opens your eyes to the bigger problem that we have here in the U S in particular. Um, so I'm, I'm really curious to hear some of what you have to say about mindful drinking. Sure. Yeah. Well, it goes back actually to being pregnant. So mm-hmm. again, for society, it's pretty culturally normal in air quotes to stop drinking entirely when you get pregnant. Right. Or, you know, maybe you're having a sip of wine here and there. Here in Mexico, you'd be having like a beer with your ceviche and nobody, <laughs> it's like very cultural, these, these norms. But um, I think what's important there is you're, you're, when you're pregnant, you're in this hyper state of awareness because things that make the fetus sick immediately make you sick or give you like a, a disgust, you know, like you're, you're just completely turned off from either physically or the smell. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, I found at that time, like even a sip of wine was just not enjoyable. So I had this window where I was pregnant. Then with both of my boys, I breastfed for over a year. So it was like a four year window of being pregnant and breastfeeding that just naturally I hardly drank. And in my mind, I was still looking forward to getting back to this sort of normal state of, you know, enjoying a bottle of red with my husband or, you know, girls night, wine and cheese and all these things. Um, But it was kind of this blessing in disguise and that it gave me a lot more 
pause going back to it. And, and really I feel like something shifted chemically for me that I never quite enjoyed it. Like I had in my twenties and thirties. Uh, and also I think on a subconscious level, you know, my, my father was an alcoholic. He committed suicide when I was 17 and there's always been a lot of drinking. I'm, I'm actually, um, from Canada and it's, you know, the same in Canada that there's a very strong cultural norm of socializing around alcohol. And, um, it's, yeah, I, I, the, the level of which, you know, um, high functioning intoxication, if you will, is, is accepted and normalized is, is quite frankly, worrisome. And I think that's one reason there are many, many movements right now, you know, there's some call it the sober curious movement. There's the alcohol free living because I particularly like to talk to women that, you know, it's not about being an alcoholic or feeling like you have a quote unquote problem, like to your point that you, for you, it was a health choice. Um, And many, many women are coming to the same conclusion where they just are very aware that alcohol is not serving them in the same way that it maybe did to help them socialize in university or, you know, relax it. And, and I am highly critical personally of this very strong narrative that it somehow helps you be a better parent. Like I personally, the first reason I chose to give up alcohol, which for, in my case, they call it, um, oh, what's it called? Um, like, basically, I just made a decision. You know, I, I didn't go to AA. I didn't really even have any support around it. It was just this thing I knew that needed to happen. And at the time, I didn't say I'm quitting forever. I said, I'm going to quit. I tried back to our topic here. I tried, quote unquote, mindful drinking for a year. And I saw that that wasn't going to work for me. So then I shifted into complete sobriety. And it was for my kids. I, I was already doing some of the things that I swore as a kid growing up with an alcoholic that I would never do, be it, you know, have a meaningful conversation with my child the night before and like not really remember all the details the next mm, morning right. or driving my kids after several glasses of wine and just like uh, many, many things that for me were on the line of moral that I swore I would never do. And so uh, for me, it was like a hard and fast, I need to quit. And like I said, for me, I, decided to quit for, I can't remember, honestly, if I said three months or a year, but the important point is it doesn't need to be quitting and it doesn't need to be that you are feeling like it's a problem. Just experiment, you know, being more aware of how it actually makes you feel not only in the moment, but, you know, the 15 minutes after the, you know, four hours after, and, and most impactfully, I think, as you're trying to wake up the next day, I just don't miss hangovers at all. No. And, you know, and that was sort of the thing for me when I had my brain injury, I didn't have to drink anything to wake up feeling hungover because that's just how a brain injury feels. It feels like a massive hangover every morning without drinking. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if I did have a drink, I, I mean, I would have like a half a glass of wine and I'd feel just awful. And then the next morning I was even more miserable and I'm like, okay, I can't do this. Like I already feel like crap from having a brain injury. Like I I don't need to add to it. Um, 
And so my intention was not to quit forever. It was just, I need to just quit until I I heal my brain injury. Well, it took a lot longer to heal my brain injury than I thought. Um, It took a couple of years. And by that point, I, I didn't care about alcohol anymore. Yeah. And so, you know, I would have a drink when I went out and I'd have a few sips of it and I'd be like, this is gross. I don't even like this anymore. (laughs) And, you know, if I did have a beer, let's say the next morning, I'd feel like crap again, just from one beer. And I'm like, okay, this is so not good for my body. If I feel like this in the morning. Right. Um, and so it just turned into a lifestyle change. Yeah. Well, I mean, at the end of the day, alcohol is aging ourselves. It is, you know, it's a toxin to the system. And I think, you know, we're all well aware of that. And I really see that alcohol is going to be, I thought it was going to be sugar and and many experts thought it was going to be sugar would be the next nicotine in terms of there being Mm. much more right normalizing of its toxicity and, and, you know, filtering it out of the cultural norm. But I think it could very well be alcohol, partly because of the explosion of CBD, everything in the United States and Canada (laughs) and, and there being like other, you know, the California sober and all these things that are going on. Mm, But I think what's most, you know, promising to me is the current generation are much more aware that there are other ways to have fun and are, are choosing not to drink as this, you know, automatic layer that needs to be over every every single social engagement or, um, you know, Thursday, Friday, Saturday night. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and I think you're right. It's like alcohol has been, um, like it is, it's part of our social life and it, it leaks over into home life. Like for instance, you get home from work and I've had a rough day. I'm, I'm going to have a glass of wine. Well, you know, is that the right choice? Um, you know, and not, not judging anyone that does that, but like, is that the right choice? Like, I think that's where the mindfulness comes into it. Like when you pour that glass of wine, like, okay, is this really what I should be drinking? Or should I maybe have a, you know, a big glass of water, right. And rehydrate myself after a day of work. Exactly. So it becomes this more intuitive thing, similar mm-hmm. to the eating and, and back to your example with the brownies, like it's one thing to have a brownie every single day when you get home from work, because that's what you quote unquote need versus having a brownie with good friends on a Saturday and, and right. having an interesting conversation around a fire, you know, like it's, I don't think it needs to be all or nothing, but yep. mm-hmm. you are kidding yourself if you're doing it daily and you feel like it's quote unquote self-care. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. That's, I think you really hit something there um, by calling it self-care. You're, you're kind of covering it up and saying, this is my self-care. This is how I, how I maintain my sanity. I hear a lot, that a lot from my mommy friends. That's how I maintain my sanity. (laughs) Yeah. And Um, it's exactly the opposite. That's true, but we're so in it that, I mean, it's, you need to take a break from it to, to have the insight on how it's really affecting your sleep, your digestion, your weight, your energy levels, your patience. For me, like now that I don't drink, I can see because basically the, the body um, processes alcohol similar to how it processes sugar. Alcohol is a sugar. Yeah. And so once I was sober for a while and it definitely helped me become a better parent, but 
sugar has the same effect in terms of, you know, uh, I have a drop in my level of patience immediately after eating a lot of sugar. And, um, you know, so the fact that it, we have this narrative that it somehow helps us as mothers to relax is actually quite opposite the truth. I mean, if you're consistently drinking wine until they go to bed, well, maybe, but having a glass of wine, like you're, the, the effect on the system is for 20 minutes, you get that, mm, you get that buzz, that warm but fuzzy. then you immediately have several hours of a drop in your sugar in your blood. And so you feel depressed you feel anxious, you feel um, impatient or irritable, unless you have another glass, you know, and if you're just hitting every 20 minutes to keep yourself on that buzz, right? Yeah, yeah. And it's really, really powerful, the cumulative damage too, but I, I don't want to um, harp too much on because I, I, I like, I find it's much more effective for people if they just hear something and think, hmm, that kind of hit an interesting place. And I'm just going to try and have a little bit more awareness around this, have awareness around it for months before you have to make a decision to change or shift anything. And then if you do decide to change or shift something, it's not black and white. You know, you can dial it down. And when dialing it down, you gain even more awareness. And it's this sort Mm -hmm. of teasing it out process. And, you know, it took me, like I said, I did the mindful drinking for a year, which was working really well until I had like a few, uh, blackout or close to blackout nights, which to me was like the, the shame spiral. Right. I just wanted to get off that equivalent to overeating. Right. Like, yeah. Yeah. Well, Megan, this has been such a great conversation and I think a much needed conversation in both, in both topics. Um, so I just want to make sure everyone knows how to find you if they want to learn more about you and your web website is Megan swanwellness.com. And we have a clickable link in the show notes. So wherever you're listening to this, you can click through, um, but tell us a little bit, Megan, about what they, um, can find on your website. For sure. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Basically, there there are three ways that you can work with me. I work with clients one-on-one that are interested in, you know, making a a shift, a lifelong shift for themselves. We usually do three or six month um, programs so that women feel like really clear and supported and that, you know, they, whatever we accomplish in that period, they're more than, able to continue on for the rest of their lives in with that uh, lifestyle shift. I also run a group program. It'll be uh, sparking up again in June of 2022. There's a wait list on my website there. And it's a lot of the similar work that I do. Um, we focus a lot on tapping into your feminine energies, embodiment, you know, and the six pillars of wellness that I always work with. And, but it's in a, in a group setting and a lot of women really find it as powerful or sometimes more powerful Mm -hmm. to have a sense of community around making these shifts. Um, so it's a 12 week program that I run, um, usually twice a year at the most. And, and then I also do, um, you know, wellness retreat events, which can be in person or virtual. And I do that, um, in, you know, 
communities or in a corporate setting. So if any of that sounds interesting, please reach out uh, via the website and I'm happy to discuss more. Awesome. Well, Megan, thank you again so much for being here today and sharing your insights with our listeners. Thank you for the invitation. I appreciate it. And thank you everyone for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and please consider leaving a five-star review wherever you are listening to help others who are on their own wellness journey, discover this podcast. Thank you for listening. Have a great day and I'll see you all in the next episode.